Um, you might have noticed that we, we, we are talking a, a lot about um, metaphors and images in the past two weeks. Um, I just put, I, okay, I just put these images together. In the, two weeks back, we looked at the image, the metaphor of uh, family, uh, table fellowship. Uh, and we, we um, reflected that uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, exists in eternal unity in, in a fellowship like this, in communion. And the image seems to, as we look at the image, obviously there's a lot of things happening in the image. This image is a painting by uh, Andrei Rublev, not the tennis guy, but uh, the uh, Russian iconography. Um, so it, the image almost invites us to come and join the seat at the table. And that's kind of the, the, the idea that we are invited to participate in the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are invited to experience the unity of the Spirit, as Paul says. Then last week we looked at uh, Kaelid dancing, or um, as the, the technical term, the perichoresis, the, the dance, that another metaphor for the Trinity, which is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as it were, exist in an eternal, perfect dance, a choreography of sorts. And we are invited to that dance as well. And what that involves is that we learn the steps of the dance. We learn to follow the pattern of Jesus, who is our guide and our Lord. Then suddenly we have this Im imagery of infants, and we'll no longer be infants. I'm like, why? Like, infants are nice. Babies are nice. Um, no longer infants. What's the problem with infancy? And I thought I should just clear, uh, clarify a few things. It's not to say that um, the, the, the common perception, grow up, face the world, be tough, be a man or be a woman. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. I think uh, in, in our world today, if anything, we need more childlikeness. We need more humility. We need more, um, you know, we look at the world. We just prayed for what's happening in the world. We need more simplicity of sorts, uh, uh, pure dependence on, on God and on one another. So I don't think that's what Paul is going for when he talks about infancy. I think he's talking about the fact that infants are gullible. They are completely dependent on others for their needs. They need guidance. They need direction and protection. They are vulnerable. And in that sense, Paul is saying we will no longer be infants who are uh, vulnerable to uh, the things around us. We, we, are, uh, we, are, uh, we, we are independent, so to say. And so the other imagery that if you keep going into the verses, he goes into uh, the imagery of a boat. He says, therefore, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. That's not a toddler <laughs> rolling around by the waves. It's imagery of a boat that is being tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind, uh, just like a ship that has no rudder, just blown by the wind and the waves that come. So I think Paul is, what Paul is going for here is he's saying that um, to, to be no longer infants means to, to have some sense of stability, uh, to not be blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people. I, I love how Paul is so blunt here. It's like the cunning and the craftiness of people. I wish I have that confidence <laughs> in, in myself, but th that's what he says. 
And um, I, I, I was thinking perhaps he was influenced and inspired by his own experience. And we read about this in Acts 27. And he had, he had a couple of these experiences of being shipwrecked. And this is one of those experiences. If you looked at, look at the, on the right side, he started from down there in Jerusalem. His goal was to go to Rome at, in the top uh, left part. But there was, uh, um, the, the line looks like a straight line, but there's a lot of detour in the middle. And his experience of being, having, experiencing a storm out at sea in Acts 27. He was battered by the storm for 14 days uh, in, the, in the huge Mediterranean Sea. They lost their way. They ended up where they don't want to go. In fact, they ended up at Malta. They didn't even know where this was. Um, they almost landed in North Africa and Libya. And they got shipwrecked in Malta. And because of that, he had to do a whole detour of... Uh, heading north like that. I think that's what Paul is going for. He's going for the, the, uh, the, uh, the ways in which different winds and waves and storms come and uh, pull us away from where we're actually going. And he doesn't reach his destination as planned, but he gets lost. He's, he gets taken away to another place. So if we think of these metaphors and come back to these imageries, and I think today's reflection is, should be closely tied with last week and previous week's reflections. Because when you think of the goal, the destination for which we, are, we should not be swayed, what is that, that, that destination? I think if you put things together, the three sermons together, including today, the goal is to participate in the life of God, the life of the communion of God. The goal is to be united in the Spirit. And what that means is that we uh, follow the pattern of how God revealed himself, who God is. And God is a God of love. God is a God of self-surrender. Uh, as we reflected a few weeks back, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lives and exists in love and self-surrender. Obedience to one another, submission to one another, right? Lifting up one another, building and glorifying one another, and edifying one another, so to say. And the Father, Son, and Spirit exist to delight in bringing joy and bring, working for the good of one another. I think that's a, a, a wonderful image, a goal that has been set for us. And uh, we are invited into this, this family, this communion of the triune God, uh, to join the dance of, of sorts. And, and our goal is to be in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ in this sense? To be in Christ means to, be, to follow the steps of Christ, to be patterned after Christ, to join the dance, as it were, as Christ did. Uh, and that is a life of humility, of uh, sacrifice, self-surrender. Thus, we are in unity with God when we are following Christ, when we are in sync with Christ, or as Paul calls it, to be in Christ. So that's the goal. Um, in, in this particular text, in, in the particular metaphors that are used. That's the goal. And that's the metaphor of the journey that we are in to reach that destination and that goal. To reach that hope of being, being in Christ and to, to be in a journey in which we are on every day to follow Christ closer, to be more in step with Christ um, every passing day. And as we do that, do that, to be transformed into the pattern of God Love, sacrifice, service, humility, justice, merciful, healing. All these characterize who God is and who Christ is. 
So in light of this journey, what are the distractions? What are some, like if you bring in the metaphor of Paul, uh, as we go to the north, to the top uh, left, which is where we want to go, what are some of the winds, the waves, the storms that batter us as we try to maintain this journey of being in Christ? For Paul, in verse 14, he's talking clearly about false teachings. He's saying that there are false teachings that try to divert our attention. And sure, it, even in our world today, false teachings are very much uh, important. I mean, they, they are things that we need to be wary of. But I think also equally, on an everyday basis, we don't go about uh, ex being exposed to like, wrong theology, so to say. We go to work, we go to we sit on the bus, we don't, we're not reading theological texts that might divert us or anything like that. I think in our context, in our, in our life, I think what we need to be careful about is uh, what I have also called the liturgies of everyday life, the things that we see every day around us, the, the things that are advertised, the kind of, the kind of lifestyles that are advertised for us. And um, I came across this, and I, I, I want to use this, this graph, this, uh, it's a rough depiction, but I want to use this as a talking point to, to talk about uh, the distractions. If you look at this, I, I really like this uh, graph because it gives uh, such a great perspective to life. Uh, if you notice, the, the, and I'm talking about myself. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in academia right now. I'm doing my PhD. I'm like literally thinking about my work all the time. And if I think about that, and if I look at my life in, 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 those, in, that, in terms of that pie chart, it's a small slice of my life that I'm like obsessed about. And I'm, I'm not saying that I shouldn't be, I, I should be in a healthy sense, but if we have a right perspective, like I was just amazed at sleep. <laughs> Look at how big the sleep is. Um, and eating, washing, exercise. I mean, there's so many things going on in life. And I catch myself obsessing only about that small slice, small slice of um, the green that I see there. Maybe that's one thing that distracts us. Maybe the, the distraction is the idea that the only journey worth your time is competition. The only journey worth your time is quote-unquote success, right? Sacrifice, who cares about sacrifice? You have to self-promote, you, you have to assert yourself, you have to push yourself out there and you have to climb the ladder even, even if it means stepping on top of people. I think that would be a distraction, major distraction that we live uh, soaked in in our world today. There are other things as well. Uh, we, we can be swayed by the urgency, the demands of life and society. Um, I was thinking even religiosity can be a distraction. And I'm not sure if you are following like recent developments in evangelical world, especially in the US. I kind of follow that because that's uh, part of my interest, but it's also tied to my spiritual heritage as uh, American Baptist and whatnot. You learn very quickly that even in the last week, it's like three major news that came out uh, that expose um, cover-ups and abuse in, in huge names, huge organizations. And if you really think about it, that is an example of how religiosity distracted them from truth and love. Like one of the classic um, uh, arguments for, not arguments, one of the classic um, um, what is that word? A rationalization that people say oh, is, oh, he did a great thing. He's, he's doing a lot of things for God. He's doing, 
you know, he preached the gospel. I think in, that, in the name of the religiosity, truth and love, uh, justice, uh, care for the vulnerable, that has been forgotten. Uh, of course, the big news that we know is Ukraine-Russian war. And in the last week or so, the religious leaders, authorities, official leaders said, we are fighting on behalf of Christendom. We are fighting on behalf of the church, Christianity. That, of course, religiosity has completely distracted them from truth and love. What is true and what is love and what is just. I, w- I just want to clarify. Careers and family and relationships, hobbies, religiosity, these are ways of enjoying and engaging with God and His creation. These are ways in which we serve one another. Right? Uh, I would, uh, my goal is that my career would be of service to others, to build up those who, are, those who have no voice, for example. Uh, all of these things should be for providing and taking responsibilities for one another, to strive for truth and love, to serve God's creation for the common good and flourishing, to work for peace on earth through my career, through my relationships and hobbies and religiosity. When that is flipped around, that becomes a distraction. So what I'm trying to say is the whole pie, it's not just a small, imagine if you have to put in a slice of Sunday service ministry that we do. Imagine how thin that slice would be, right? Two hours of the week. That's because that's not how it works. How it works is the whole pie is supposed to be where we experience the unity of the spirit. Carriers, our relationships, our hobbies, our religiosity, even our, our rest is a space, a place where we experience the unity, the dance of sorts with God, the relationship with God. The whole pie is where we participate in gathering and being sent out, as I mentioned last week. And we need to be careful that we are not sidetracked or distracted by um, things that want us to prioritize on one thing. It could be entertainment, it could be career, it could be sleep, it could be uh, even family, it could be even church. But the things that distract us from love and truth. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Do not be distracted by the winds and waves that push us, but remain focused on what we need to do. And what is it that we need to do then? What we need to do is, he says, live, oh, um, speak the truth in love, in NIV. And I really enjoyed reflecting on this phrase in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. It turns out that's not the best translation in the sense it's one of those words that has multiple ways of understanding uh, and these are a few ways of understanding that uh, that phrase speak the truth in love it can be understood as be truthful in love or live the truth in love maintain the truth in love truthing in love that's john stott's uh, commentary and my favorite be true in love and i really enjoyed reflecting on this for the past few days um, it implies paul is calling christians and believers to be true in love, to live the truth in love. And I just want to dwell a little bit more on what this might mean. And for that, I may have to uh, go back to uh, the big picture one more time. If God created us in his image, if God redeemed us in Christ, if God gave us a new identity in Christ, 
And God invited us to this dance, to this communion with Him. Equipped us to serve one another, to love one another. That means that is who we are. Right? That, what God has made us, that is who we are. And who we are is to be in Christ. That's our goal. That's what we have been made for. That's what we have been prepared for. That's what we have been gifted for. In other words, who we are, we find who we are when we seek Christ. We find who we are when we are in Christ. And who we are is to be like Christ, which is to be giving, to be serving, to be loving. We have been made for that purpose. That's home for us. So in a way, the journey of discipleship, seeking Jesus, following Jesus, learning to be in pattern with Jesus, the journey of discipleship is really a homecoming, finding who you are, who you are meant and created and um, um, equipped to be. We are truly ourselves. We are being true to ourselves when we give ourselves to others in service. We are being true to ourselves when we work to the unity of the Spirit. And I think as, as I was preparing for this, I was uh, struggling a bit because it's so easy to overcomplicate this. We can talk, what is truth? Okay, what does it mean to be? You know, you can go into all those philosophical questions. But I just want to keep it very simple. And that is, Paul is telling us to be true to who we are in Christ. To be true to who we are meant to be in Christ. To grow into your position in Christ. The place where you are meant to, to serve others. The, the giftedness that you have been given to build others in love. And that's where the, the metaphor of infant uh, comes in perfectly. Infant, infants, they don't know who they are yet. They are still figuring out how to speak, like um, their personality is still forming. In the same way, we, as we, when we say we are no longer uh, infants, we are growing out of that confusion and understanding our place in Christ, which is to be, uh, to be like Christ. So when we follow the pattern of Christ, when we love others sacrificially, when we use our particular strengths, our personalities, our abilities to bless others, to help others and to build one another up, we are being true to who we are. We are being true to who we are in Christ. We are being true in love to how God has created us to be. If I may just be more specific, I think it means that we need to learn to articulate our strengths, our voice, our emotions, personality, our passions, our careers, our skills. We need to learn to articulate these things to serve others towards the unity of the Spirit. Some of you may know that we have a, a, a podcast thing uh, going with some of our friends, uh, Noam and uh, Chow. One of the things that I learned in that research was the importance of your voice. Of course, he, the commentary was about your literal voice. But one of the things that struck me was that your voice conveys your story your experience, right? your upbringing, your culture. People can listen to you, your voice, and, and tell a lot about, about who you are, your unique voice. And in, in a broad, broader sense, our voice of who we are um, can be used uniquely to serve others. Maybe it has to do with my upbringing. 
Maybe it has to do with the particular family environment that I grew up in. Maybe it has to do with the cultural background, the mixedness that I grew up in, maybe. Or maybe it's the connections or friendships that I have. The personality that, you know, not necessarily me, but there are some people who people just warm up to, right? Uh, the encouraging spirit. Maybe you are well-placed to bless and to serve others. Maybe you are just a real pragmatic and practical person um, who just knows what to do. Uh, you, I think what it means to be true is to use those things to bless others. Use those things that you might consider as God's gift to bless others and to guide others to, to the unity of the Spirit. So to be truthful in love, to live the truth of who you are in love is to be who you are in Christ and to serve one another. So who we are is we are in Christ. That's who we are. And who we are is we are gifted and given grace to serve one another towards Christ. And that is the truth that we want to live in uh, out of love for, for others. So I want to tie all of this together and reflect what does it mean to be no longer infants then. I think no longer, to be no longer infants means, first of all, that we are not tossed back and forth by the things of life. We are not distracted from the focus. Uh, secondly, it means that we, are, we grow up to assume the person that we are created to be. In other words, to be true to one's identity in Christ. Uh, thirdly, it means to be true to your gifts and strengths in order to serve others in love. And fourthly, very simply, to be no longer infants means to be growing, to, to be always growing, to be always progressing in our, um, in, in our uh, fall, in our uh, discipleship, so to say, to, in following Christ. Because let's be honest, nobody, none of us can ever arrive there, claim to have arrived. And for that matter, nobody can ever claim to arrive by ourselves. I can never cl claim to arrive, I've already arrived and uh, reach that level in Christ. It doesn't happen because it's a collective thing. You notice in the, the way Paul, Paul talks about maturity, uh, he says it's always in the plural. So that's what I said in the last one. We notice in the, the word infants is a plural. But then in verse 15 and 16, when he talks about how infants grow and become one body, it becomes a singular, one body of Christ. From being plural, we form and unite together and become one body of Christ. And I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that depicts the, the, the growth that we need to have um, towards unity. And I want to close with, so that's, this is what no longer infants mean, seem to mean uh, in my reflection of this text. And I want to close with two encouragements. Um, the first encouragement is this. I really, I really appreciate that Paul says, um, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect. And of course, in verse 14, he says, we will no longer be infants, putting himself in that category as well. We will no longer be infants. That's a hope. And if you are, uh, you are like me, if you're like Paul, you would admit that I cannot claim to maturity. And all of us, I think, would be freely admit that there's still some journey that I need to go. And the encouragement is that even Paul feels like that. He says, we will no longer be infants. Not yet. 
even Paul himself. But he talks about the hope that we will be no longer infants. And note again, we will collectively, not, not just pastors and theologians and church people, right? But all of us who are in Christ, we will no longer be infants. So that's the first encouragement. The second encouragement, where does growth come from? Growth is not something that we can force on ourselves. It's not something that we can, we can like, type in some formula and grow ourselves. Growth comes from God. Growth is not on our hands. And that's what he says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Our job, our, our part of the dynamic is to do our part, to do what we can. Growth comes from God. Christ is the head of the body. Our primary concern is just to do our part, which is to follow Christ, to be like Christ, and to, uh, to, to as, as I said last week, the two, the two movements, to go in and uh, fellowship with God and to be sent out to serve God's creation. So growth comes from God. And um, Paul says we will one day be no longer infants, but we will become mature as one body, the body of Christ. So I want to invite you to this, um, yes, just a closing glance at um, the main gist of today's sermon. Um, and I want, I want to invite you to a responsive reading um, uh, rather than I, uh, me praying. And I, I want you to read along on uh, the, the yellow bit. And as we read this aloud, I'll, um, how do I put it? I, I want it to be a way of like speaking to one another, right? And as we read, let us receive it from one another as words of encouragement. Um, and yeah, let it enrich us as we soak in these verses. So please follow along the, with the, the yellow words here. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captive and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Let's read together. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Amen.